Lord and to my God, I firmly believe that you are here. That you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins. The grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Tonight, we will celebrate the Mother of all vigils, the Easter Vigil. It is really one of the greatest and most noble of all the solemnities in the Church. And it has its origins way back in the ancient Church. I don't know if you've had a chance to go to an Easter Vigil, but it is really an impressive experience when it is well done. You enter into the Church, and you're kind of surprised to see that there are no lights on. It's not because they had a power failure, but <laughs> it's just no lights, no candles, nothing. Maybe a little exit light there to help you get around, but it's dark. And people are just sitting there in hushed silence. Then they are invited to the entrance of the church or to the portico and everybody huddles around a little fire that is lit and the priest and the deacons stand in front of that fire and one of the ministers brings a big tall Easter candle. The prayer is said and a blessing on the candle and then this interesting rite where the priest cuts into the candle with a stylus, a kind of a pointy thing, and he writes out the Greek letters, alpha, kind of looks like, a, like an upside-down U, on the, above the cross, and below the omega, alpha and omega. Jesus is the beginning and the end. And then he writes in the four numerals of the current year. This year, of course, 2022. And then, in that darkness, the candle is handed over to the, to the deacon, and the cantor begins to sing the beautiful hymn, Lumen Christi. He sings out, the light of Christ, Lumen Christi. And they light that candle, and bit by bit, people holding their own candles begin to light it, and light begins to appear in the church. And that candle, as you know, that Easter candle, will be present in the church throughout the Easter season, and will always remain in the sanctuary next to the lectern. And it'll be there always used in baptisms and in funerals, always reminding us that Christ is light and life. And then everybody enters into the church. Then the Easter proclamation is sung. It takes lots of uh, ability to sing this because it's a long hymn and it usually requires some professional to do that. And that's where the whole celebration begins. But everybody is in the dark watching and listening to this beautiful hymn 
sung right in front of that large, large Easter candle. And then bit by bit, we go through the whole history of redemption through the readings from the book of Genesis, where we read the story of creation. Then we read the account of the binding of Isaac. Right? Abraham takes Isaac to Mount Moriah, ties him up, and is about to sacrifice him, as God had asked. But in the last second, the angel comes and grabs his hand and says, No, don't, don't harm the child. This is a premonition already of the cross. And then we go on to the passage of the, from the book of Exodus about the passing through the Red Sea and the joy of the people of Israel being liberated. Then the account of the Passover and numerous other readings such as Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel who recounts the vision that he had of the valley of the dry bones. He's looking around and he sees all these bones on the ground all like you know, bones of whatever, skulls and bones and dry. They're really dry. They're in this sand. And God says to him, Ezekiel, yes. He says, you see these dry bones? Do you think that they can, like, get up and start walking? And he says, what? No way. Impossible. And then God says, well, watch. And then the dry bones start... And they start, you know, clambering together and they start like walking around. You know? And Ezekiel goes, he's completely stunned by this vision. And that too is a foreshadowing both of our resurrection and the coming back of the people of Israel from Babylon to Jerusalem. They're seen in both ways, but especially our resurrection based on the resurrection of Christ. And of course, this evening also there will be baptisms and confirmations. And for that, the priest will bless the water that will be used in all the baptisms in the, in the future year, in, the, in this year. And in particular, today is a special day because we remember Pope Benedict, whose birthday it is today, April 16th. He turns a mere 95 years old. So he's still quite young. <laughs> and... Uh, he was baptized on April 16th, 95 years ago, and he was baptized with the first water that was blessed in the Easter Vigil. Back then, the Easter Vigil was always like, like now in the, in the morning or in the afternoon, right? not in the evening, back when he was baptized. And so when they saw that he was baptized, I mean, he'd only been born a few hours before, like literally, you know, he was, he was like brand new, right? It just warm still out of the oven, right? And, and he was baptized with that water. So imagine all his family, they said, the first time this water has actually been used is for the baptism of this child. What will he become? Who knows? Of course, nobody had any clue that he would become Pope, of course, you know. But that's what happened. So see how important it is to be baptized, right? But, um, so we, we pray for Pope Benedict, who, of course, uh, they're saying he's quite frail now, but his mind is, is completely there, he's completely lucid. And, well, this is the eve of, of Easter Sunday, but we commemorate the resurrection as an invitation for us to pray about the resurrection in our life and how we can live it.
So when we think of the resurrection, we must remember that Jesus rose with the same body he had, meaning he had the same wounds, he had the same scars, but he was, it's like he'd gone through the washing machine, like he was fixed up, right? He was cleaned up, no more dirty blood all over the place, but he had holes in his hands, hold a hole on his side or a scar on his side, uh, and on his feet too. That was to indicate that it was the same body. But now, they weren't painful. Like, you know, if you had a huge hole in your hand and you know, don't touch it, it'd be very painful. But he said, go ahead, put your, put your finger into my hand or into my side, no problem. Because now, it's like a glorified body. It's like an upgrade, right? It's like a computer software, they always make upgrades. Now he's like functioning. You know, with 500 gigs of RAM, he's, he's fast, right? And so, that's why St. Augustine would say that his wounds, since they are no longer painful, they are now the badges of his victory over death. The badges of his victory. The, the wounds that used to make him look so miserable for, now they are the wounds that now decorate him. And they embellish the beauty of his risen body. And that's why it's important that we kind of understand the two opposing poles that exist and have existed throughout time about the role of the body. We all have a body, we can experience pain, we can experience pleasure, feelings. And there are two opposing poles, two opposing ways of seeing the, the body. One is what they call the Manichaean version. That's an ancient heresy in the early church. And that one fears the body. It thinks that everything about the body is bad. It worries about pleasure. You can't have any pleasure. It's like bad, 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 bad. Anything about the body is bad because the only thing that's good is kind of like spiritual, Right? But the other tradition, and that's certainly present here today in this world that we're in, is what we call hedonism, right? It, in, the, in which the only reality is the body. The spiritual doesn't matter. It doesn't even exist. It's kind of a materialistic conception of life. The only thing that'll make you happy is to have wealth, uh, health, lots of pleasure, and as much as satisfaction as you can get. That's the hedonistic version. One is Manichaean, the other one is hedonistic. We have to try to kind of develop a balance between the two. Because we know that even though we have the best food, the best electronic gadgets, the best even you know pleasure that we can imagine, we are made in such a way that it's never really truly enough for us. It's never truly satisfying. And so, why does that happen? Well, that in today's world, why are there so many who are only seeking pleasure as the, as the greatest horizon of, of their life? Well, it's a sign, of course, that the horizon of eternity and of eternal life has kind of dropped off. And when we lose a sense of our purpose, that is, our purpose is to live here happy on earth and to be forever with our Lord in heaven, 
and with all our family and with all the saints in heaven, if we lose the conception that that's the purpose of our life, well, that effect, that is, if we think we're only made for here, it has the same effect like throwing sand on a flame. You know, if you put sand on a flame, it'll suffocate it. It'll extinguish that flame. And that's why for us, faith in eternal life is really one of the most important um, conditions for evangelization, for talking about the faith and bringing souls back to God. This is what St. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection from the dead, of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So everything depends for our faith on the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead and has overcome death. Not only that, imagine if we only hoped for good outcomes in this life. That's the only hope we really had. If we don't really think about our own resurrection, that's what St. Paul said, we would be the most miserable of men and women. He said, if for this life we have hoped in Christ, we are most pitiable people of all. If That is, if we only... That's like the prosperity gospel. You know, people who, okay, they believe in Christ, but only because it's going to ensure that they get a good job, that they get good health, that everything goes well for them here. But that's that would make us, as he says, pitiable. Miserable, he says. Well, in the presence of God, we tell the Lord, now, I don't want to be miserable. And this happens, this misery, when I see my life only through human eyes. No real supernatural vision to everything that happens to me, whether it's the good things or the bad things. So we need, really, you could call it the eyes of faith or the glasses of faith. If I look at you without my glasses on, I just see like blur, right? I just see... Multicolored blur. Right? <laughs> now I can see your faces. I can see you some with masks, some without, and that's wonderful. That's what I want to see, and that's what supernatural life and supernatural uh, vision gives us. This is what Saint Josemaria says in the way he says: Most people have a plane-like vision, stuck to the earth, of two dimensions. When you have a supernatural life. God will give you the third dimension, height, and with it, perspective, weight, and volume. It's like a 3D vision. Like you, you can start to understand things much better. So we cannot let supernatural life or the supernatural fall away in our life. Do not let the resurrection of Christ just be like an anecdote at the end. It is at the end of the gospel narrative, that's true, but it is at the center of our faith. And it is at the center of our perseverance. It's at the center of our growth in faith. That's why St. Josemaria says also in the way, he says, if you lose 
the supernatural meaning of your life, your charity will be philanthropy. Your, pur your purity, decency. Your mortification, stupidity. Your discipline, a whip. And all your works, fruitless. Right? That's, that's why... That's why some people, they do things, they do good things, but it's just philanthropy, it's just like fruitless things that don't have deeper meaning. They can be good humanly, but they don't really have supernatural value. And that's why St. Paul tells us that our faith leads us to look up to heaven, because there the Lord will mold this humble body of ours into a new body. Like, like a like an artist when he sculpts, he he takes let's say a piece of clay and he's sculpting a, a sculpture like a figure of some kind of some kind. He also has to look at a model. He's got a clay that's just like unformed and just a clump of clay. Well, he starts molding it, but he has to look at the model that he's molding. He has to look at a figure of a person or a horse. If he's modeling a horse, he has to have a horse there. Well, in our case, with all the events of our life, it says our Lord is molding our body, but He's looking at the risen Christ as His model. And that's certainly what He does in this life, and He will do it fully in heaven. And He will look at the risen Christ, and that tells us that our body that we have, and, and the very fact that we can work and do things on earth, it's all matter to be sanctified. This poor body of ours can be glorified. It can kind of acquire an agileness for God beyond our imagination. All you have to do is picture the state of Jesus when he was being crucified, this bloodied, contorted, mangled body, and then the beauty of the resurrected Christ with this luminosity, this beauty. That's kind of what God does with us and will do with us in heaven. And so, so let's ask for that faith. And um, of course, Jesus has come back from the dead, alive. He's done that so as to never die. And you know, Lazarus, he was risen from the dead as well. But you'll notice when he rose from the dead, or Jesus you know, resurrected him, he came out of the tomb. What happened? Well, he was all wrapped up in this burial cloth. You know, they would put lots of cloths around a dead body, right? And then they would put him like that. And he couldn't really walk because he was like jumping around because he was tight, tightly wrapped. And the Lord said, untie him, untie him. And they gently removed those cloths and there he was. He was now free. He was now alive. But they kept those burial cloths because they knew that eventually he would die again. And in fact, the Pharisees and the scribes, realizing that he was like a, a good witness, and a lot of people believed when they saw that, they, they purposely tried to kill him. Right? And then, once he was dead again, well, then he would need those burial cloths again. Whereas Jesus left the tomb and what is the first thing the women saw? His burial cloths inside the tomb. He didn't need them anymore. 
never to need them anymore. Because, uh, because he's risen forever. He's alive forever. So, for us to have this vision of the risen Lord, we really, really have to be men and women of, of prayer. Because it is through prayer that we are telling him, Lord, you are the one to do it in my life, to guide me, to get me where you want. That's why we really ask the Lord now uh, for a better connection, a better fidelity to some time of prayer that we talked about. Even though there are many good and interesting things to do, we have to sometimes simply disable our phone, not to be interrupted, bring a even a sketchbook to your prayer, like a note, take notes of what you think of, so that the Lord will open up horizons for you. And the fruit of prayer is brings about a certain kind of consistency. You become kind of a more dependent person, dependable. You're no longer a featherweight. You're reliable. It's like a you're like a well-tuned piano. You can hear the right note. There's no discord. And uh, so let us not be afraid of the kind of life that the Lord is asking of us as a result of this retreat. You know that that, that phrase in the Bible, the phrase, do not be afraid, is probably one of the most used phrases. It apparently appears like 300 times in the in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, you know they say good teachers always repeat their message. They always repeat it. You, you know, you ask why why am I always getting that same ad on YouTube every time I get the same ad? You know, and you say I know I know about weight loss. I know about you know this new movie or whatever. I've heard it a million times. Yeah, but now it's in your head, right? And you can't get it out, right? Well, they know about those. That's why they repeat and the Old Testament and the New Testament repeats often so that you don't forget. Do not be afraid. You, the Lord said it to His disciples and they never forgot the tone of His voice and what He meant. Do not be afraid. I mean, what could Mary Magdalene be afraid of now? I mean, the only fear she had now really was to, to lose Jesus again. When she saw him and thought he was the gardener, he said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. And, um, and she was just afraid of, of losing him again. So, we, my God, we ask you now, may I never be afraid of anything except losing you through sin. And if that happens again, because I know I'm weak, well, I beg you to come and search me out and bring me back. You go back through confession. So what St. John Paul II said, I plead with you, never ever give up on hope. Never doubt, never tire, never become discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to become saints of the new millennium. That was... In fact, one of the first statements he made when he first became Pope in 1978. Non abete paura, he said in Italian. Non abete paura. Do not be afraid. And 
Pope Benedict has said similar things as has Pope Francis. So let us ask now for the courage eh, to keep going in our interior life and not to lose our, our enthusiasm. Sometimes we might get a bit dry, we find it hard to pray, we, we get a bit humdrum, we could get into all kinds of conflicts at home, we're tired, we're touchy, and we can end up like Mary Magdalene crying for no reason, right? So, you know, it can happen. So, well, we finished the retreat now, and you've got your life ahead of you now, you've got Easter's practically here now, practically. And we can finish with this anecdote of this lady who was driving home and she was in her car driving and there she saw in the neighborhood a baseball diamond with kids playing. She could hear the, the screams of the kids and they were playing and the parents watching. And she said, well, I always like watching kids play, especially baseball. So she parked her car, she went over, and she sat right next to, or close to, the, the kid on third base. Right? And, um, and the third baseman was there, and he was going, come on, matter, 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 swing, matter, matter, like kind of taunting him, you know. And he was like totally enthusiastic, and he was going, we're going to win this game, we're going to win. And so she gets his attention, and she says to him, Hey, kid. She says, yeah, what, what? She says, uh, what's the score? He goes, we're losing 14 nothing." <laughs> and she goes, uh, well, you don't look too discouraged. He says, discouraged, discouraged. We haven't even gone up to bat yet. <laughs> so, so now <laughs> you're going up to bat, right? Even if you feel maybe you're losing 14 nothing, right? So don't worry, there's still lots of home runs to hit. Right? And we ask this with the help of uh, our Blessed Mother right? and St. Joseph, of course, the Holy Family, St. Jesus, because today we're in the year of the family. They will guide us never to lose our enthusiasm and to strengthen our faith in the risen Lord. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.